I kind of object to this idea of the canon being this, this static body of literature. Um, I think it definitely needs to be broadened and modernised. And, and I, do, I do see myself as wanting to contribute to the canon and to, to be held within it. Rather than for literature to be thought of as, as a form that has already been established by a certain type of writer. Hello and welcome to the Vintage Books Podcast. I'm Jandela Benson and I'm Head of Editorial at Black Ballad, the award-winning digital media platform and community for black women in Britain. Now this is a takeover of sorts. The Vintage Books Podcast have allowed us to take the reins of today's episode and I'll be speaking with Diana Evans, the award-winning author of three novels, 26A, The Wonder and Ordinary People. The theme for today is home, particularly the concept of home for black British people. It's been a strange year for all of us, but with racial violence and inequality taking the forefront of conversations in a way that I can't remember ever happening before, a lot of us black Brits are reflecting on society and where we fit within it. So join me and Diana in conversation, grab a hot drink, get comfortable and listen in. So obviously a lot of us have been locked down for what feels like the majority of the year at the moment, kind of forced to be inside, um, spending a lot more time in our houses than we usually would have. And that kind of combined with... um, George Floyd's murder and the kind of uprisings that came out of that and also a lot of kind of like periods of introspection from different kind of angles whether it be public bodies or companies that we work for or just kind of the community in general. So the first question that I wanted to ask was how has 2020 changed your relationship with the idea or kind of concept of home? Well it's definitely made the world feel smaller and less accessible and more compressed um, and it's, it's, it's made me think about the, the idea of um, Britain as, as a home for me and uh, my family. It's something that I've always thought about deeply because, because I'm half Nigerian and I've always felt a sense of um, slight alienation and questioning around the edge of things. And I guess this year has um, made that more wide-ranging and, and it's a feeling that, um, that, that I sense all around me. There's a, there's a sense of um, instability everywhere and, and a kind of connection with the rest of the world at the same time as being unable to access it so it it feels almost like a feeling of being stuck and and questioning whether this is the place that you really want to be so yeah it's something that I've been I've been thinking about a lot and I've also in a strange way found this year quite galvanizing 
around the idea of home because especially with the uh, George Floyd's murder and the the realities of racism that we're being faced with in, in, in such a stark way it, it it kind of creates this feeling of um, the, the need for retaliation on a kind of everyday level in the work that we do in the way that we live our lives and um, the way we raise our kids and the way we think about the world so it's it's made me think about um, our own power to manifest our, our own sense of home wherever we might be and that involves a fight really and action yeah I think it's um yeah it feels like peace or home or that kind of sense of stability is something that we just have to really fight for where before maybe it was something that was kind of I guess you kind of accepted it on some level but yeah it does feel like 2020 has kind of thrown that into like really sharp relief like yeah if we want to be at peace like it's something that has to be fought for in whatever way Black Britishness is definitely kind of a label which I think always feels a bit up for debate because it's so like non-defined or it's kind of it feels like a label that um is almost quite bureaucratical if that's the right word to use at first but then it's something that it feels like as time has gone by like more and more people or more and more generations are like claiming it as an identity um and for me personally it wasn't until I went to a wedding and my friends were getting married one was Jamaican and English and one was Nigerian and I think that experience of like being in a wedding and we've got so many kind of like versions of I guess people of African descent who live in the UK kind of coming together and celebrating and all our music's mixing together our food's mixing together and that was kind of like the time when I was like oh okay I, I, I feel like I get what this is being black British like I feel like I can understand it for the first time so I wanted to know what has your relationship been to that label is that something that you've kind of claimed or is it something that you feel ambivalent towards or it's what are your thoughts on it yeah it's definitely some something that I claim very positively and it was actually the first label that seemed to fit for me that felt mm. right for me um, because I because I'd always always had this sense of my British identity being somehow in question, or or contested or in doubt, uh, and that mm. was manifested in the environment around me. Um, but at, at the same time, especially being being a Londoner, I I felt very in, in invested in in my London identity, um, and therefore my British identity. So that idea of, of, of black Britishness was, was the first time that I thought of myself as belonging to some, some, um, some group, some named group, which had always seemed to escape me. And so I, I really celebrate that. And I really try and, um, that's what I try and encapsulate in, in my work what it is to be black British, black British experiences. But within that, you know, it's such a kind of, it's such a multifarious area. You know, there are so many different peoples and cultures inside that. And, and that's what I think is really important to, to highlight as well. I think these labels are, um, they're useful in terms of how we um, 
how we engage in discourse around identities and ideas of home. But I think the, um, the individualities and the demarcations between different psychologies and mentalities and backgrounds and cultures in those, in those labels, I think that's really important to, to investigate and that knowledge as well. How different or similar do you think your children's relationship with that label might be um, considering the time that they're growing up in now it feels like we have a really kind of like defi- in the music sense anyway there's a really like defined kind of like black British sound or black British scene um, so do you think that will have any kind of effect on how they see it do you think it'll be something that or even just their question of identity do you think it will be something that they perhaps um, wrestle with in maybe a way that you might have before or yeah, I think I, I, I think they will definitely be more rooted in their sense of Britishness than I did when I was growing up, um, and therefore um, they're going to be more uh, think of themselves. Well, they do already think of themselves more as as British than they do as Nigerian or Jamaican because they're they're bits of all of those three things. Um, mm. But I think um, it's really important, it feels really important for, for me as, as a parent to, to, um, to make sure that they are aware of their other heritage, you know, and that that heritage is a part of the British heritage, that they're not kind of separate things and that they're, they're these um, blended and bonded identities within themselves. So I think they'll they'll think of themselves in a less sort of compartmentalized way than I did when I was growing up, and, and <laughs> yeah. I, I I just think there's there's so much um, there's so much positivity and richness and brightness and and talent and history in Black Britishness, and I, and I think we're we're seeing it more than ever in in our music and our literature and our activism. So I think this is a really um, positive, wonderful time to be Black British. And, and I, tr- I really try and celebrate that with my kids and always kind of remind them of what they, uh, what they are and what they belong to. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so going back to what you were talking about, the demarcations between kind of Black British identities and um, psychologies, um, and I think that one of the things that definitely kind of struck me about reading your work was kind of seeing that like British Nigerianness for the first time. So I'd read other like black British authors and I kind of related to just, I guess, the black Britishness of their work. But it was kind of like the first time that I felt like I saw, oh, wow, this is like a British Nigerianness that I really can identify with on maybe a more intimate level than um, just simply black Britishness. Um, so I wanted to know what was the first time that you kind of read something that resonated with you in that way that is potentially a bit more intimate than simply just being just being black doesn't sound right because there's not anything just <laughs> about being black but when was the first time that you read work that kind of resonated with you in that way? Well I really enjoyed Lara by Bernadine Evaristo. I think that was one of the first things I'd read about um, a mixed race British Nigerian identity and a childhood story 
and and the forming of an um, adult nature and yeah I really identified with that and um, I remember reading B. Bandele's The Street as well um, which is set in Brixton that, that had quite an, um, that had quite a profound impact on me in terms of feeling um, like I was really engaged with a specific London black British London identity it really brought it to life mm. in a very visceral way yeah I really love that book um, but but generally speaking, um, I, I identify with books more on the basis of the of the psychology that is presented in in, in the books. So so um, the work of Alice Walker and Jean Rhys, those those are the two authors that have probably had the most profound impact on me in terms of um, really identifying with a with a type of human psychology. And then, and in that sense, the kind of racial identity is, is, is kind of besides the point. Mm. I think, yeah, growing up in the UK, growing up in Britain, there is that kind of like tussle between our identity in terms of how we look is made kind of like really at the forefront. But at the same time, you kind of want to be seen beyond that. But then when it comes to like, um, I just find it interesting like, how we then engage with what, do we engage with it based purely on the fact that, oh, it's um, like the idea of like rooting for everyone black. Like as soon as you see a black person, you're like, oh, wow. Right. Like, yeah, that's great. Or is there like a layer beyond that in terms of, yeah, just engaging with the humanity? I think um, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because I generally tend to read a lot of like black writers and... Um, now I've started to like branch, <laughs> sounds really strange, branch out a little bit <laughs> and started reading some white writers. <laughs> but um, yeah, and just um, it's, yeah, it's just been kind of like a bit of a journey. I guess I went very much like, okay, I'm only going to read black because there was such a dearth of representation. And now yeah. I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to like read more um, like widely. Or, yeah, you know. I think it's definitely um, added to my work, reading beyond black writing and and yeah. it's and it's made me aware of the um the the lack of a of a sense of humanity um that has been afforded in in black writing the way it's mm. been received anyway i think blackness is often um perceived in this very cliched almost instructional way like you're in, you're being instructed on what your identity is and there's an assumptions mm. being made about you just on the basis of of um appearance and, and culture and so i think there's so much investigation and examination and dissection that is that is needed in in um writings around black characters and black lives mm. in the way that i've seen in a lot of the authors i love um um, a lot of um, the middle American um, uh, male authors of the 60s and 70s and 50s, like James Salter and John Updike. I mean, uh, there's there's such um, there's such a rich sense of psychological examination of what it means to just live live out a day um, and um, and to be a human being in a certain kind of life in a certain situation. Um, that and that's what I'm that what is really at the heart of what I'm trying to do in my writing just 
um, telling stories from inside the experience of being black, mm. rather than trying to yeah. to make this this grand, um, um, more prescriptive portrait of blackness. You know, that's not yeah. what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write just write from inside that standpoint. Yeah, um, I think that I've definitely read kind of like authors kind of. Um, or even people that I know kind of complain about when they write something, it's like, oh, this is about being black. And it's like, no, it's just happens to be about a black person just kind of living their life. But then there is that kind of prescription put on them from the outside that it's some kind of like big statement about blackness or race or yeah whatever else, which can be quite frustrating. Yeah, I think we need more um, mediocrity and, and middle ground. <laughs> Absolutely, a sense of normality. No, I I agree definitely. I'm in favour of mediocrity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we don't always have to um, be imbued in um, pain or or some kind of pathology or cultural richness. You know, we can just be ordinary. Well, that's the whole point of ordinary people. Bringing us back around to that word. It's a crucial word. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I wanted to ask you about the idea of kind of like a canon. Like a lot of the time when it comes to talking about representation in literature, um, there's this idea of the British canon and like where are the black writers within that British canon? Is that something that you even kind of subscribe to as an idea or...? Is yeah, that, really I mean, radar? yeah, I do think the canon needs to be modernised and broadened and it needs to take the um, contemporary writing with it. I kind of object to this idea of the canon being this, this static body of literature because what about, what about the, um, the contemporary writing and the um, the writing that has developed so much from the canon and and also has a way of uh, is is exemplary in some way of literature as as a work of art. You know, there's so much modern literature that um, you know, as well as black writing, obviously that 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 should be part part of the canon and considered a part of the canon. For example, Small Island, that should be part of the canon, but I don't think it is. Like. If, if we're thinking about the traditional can, canon. So um, I think it definitely needs to be broadened and modernised. And, and I, do, I do see myself as wanting to contribute to the canon and to, to be held within it, rather than, to be, um, rather than for literature to be thought of as, as a form that has already been established by a certain type of writer. Um, and that new writing somehow should stand up against. I think that's kind of an old, very old-fashioned way of thinking about the canon. Mm. Yeah, just um, what you were saying, it made me kind of think about, I think it was Afra Hirsch who, was, who um, in her book British kind of alludes to the fact that Britain is quite in love with this kind of like idealised past of itself and like how that is often what the kind of like British identity is like built around and just thinking about what you were saying about this kind of like static canon 
yeah like I guess people we create our culture we create an identity through these cultural outputs through this kind of literature music etc and I think Britain does have this identity crisis where it really wants to be this one set static thing and it's like it's not it's first of all it's never been that static thing it's never been this like the preserve of an upper middle class upper class kind of white male like what's the word I don't know like viewpoint or lens um it's never been that but even now so I guess as things are kind of carrying on and just the even with like Brexit and kind of modern politics it always seems to be this kind of like conversation about what is truly British and this kind of like idealized old fogey idea which kind of doesn't allow room for these kind of like new voices like you said like the contemporary kind of um things and I think at first that pushback kind of has made maybe me think oh I don't want to be a part of it anyway. I don't want to be a part of it anyway. It's fine. Like you kind of keep your old kind of things. But I guess it is important because if we're thinking about the truth of who Britain is and what Britain is and who we are as a people, like we deserve to be a part of that canon and we deserve yeah. to be like, that's the truth in, in a sense. It's not even like a deserved thing. It's just like, that's the reality. <laughs> that's the reality yeah. of what Britain's like. Yeah. And, yeah. and acknowledging the importance of contemporary um, culture and art as part of the canon doesn't necessarily have to reject history. You know, we can move forward with, mm. with history. And I think that is what is um, one of the problems that is at the heart of British identity. There's this nervousness around um, uh, um, sort of accepting um cultural modernity as as a part of British identity as if that is a threat to British history and that is really that's really warped and I think it's very damaging um I do in a sense feel hopeful that the structures um of the kind of the white male middle class structures that are defined um British society I I do feel hopeful that they are being very, very, very slowly, gradually destabilised. And I think we've seen a slight acceleration of that this year in the light of George Floyd uh, and the anti-racism protests. But I, I think there's still a lot of work to do, obviously. But I do feel hopeful. I do feel hopeful. Um, I also feel aware mm. that the holding on to that historical traditional identity is so um um it's it's still so rampant and you can see it in in um in the tory government that we that we're living with at the moment this idea for this idea of holding on to the the so-called essence of britishness and these very mm. chilling um moves that are being made to kind of strangle strangle our children's education you know that there was an act um recently to ban anti-capitalist literature from from education um and the whole move to try and um strangle critical race theory and you know the, these are really important discourses and and discussions to be had around how we deconstruct um uh 
racist oppression and economic mm. oppression and, and capitalism is at the heart of the racist oppression. Um, critical race theory is really important in, in terms of thinking about how whiteness um, and the acceptance of whiteness has kind of d defined the persecution of blackness. And I think if we don't really embrace these discourses, that's going to be really dangerous in terms of how far we can go forward. So, so I feel hopeful at the same time as being very aware that there's still a really um, deep fight to be had, and which, which is probably never going to end, actually, um, which is why the work of artists is so important, because artists are there to, 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 to really probe the structures that we live under to, and, and to, show, um, to, to show the different ways that people are strangled by them and what needs to be done about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely um, can relate to your mixed feelings of hope and um, maybe mild angst. <laughs> yeah, a bit more. <laughs> yeah, I would say mild. <laughs> That's to put it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, all, I think the geography is kind of quite an interesting detail in your work. Um, I like it personally from the point of view of kind of like situating black people in like physical spaces kind of taking up that space as such um what kind of thoughts or considerations go into choosing your places or where you or the kind of like home that you set for your characters well because I'm a Londoner I'm naturally drawn to um to wanting to depict London it, it, it has such this incredibly rich and stimulating identity and, and atmosphere and, and sense of story inside it so um, and, and I'm very much uh, I'm a writer who who observes worlds rather than builds worlds I like to observe what's around me and um, I always actually begin from character rather than from geography and setting um, I, I try and get to the heart of character and try and make the character as vivid as possible and the setting is a setting is is a crucial part of that situation a character situating the character within physical space so yeah it's it's about loving description as well as about trying to make a more of a political statement about the idea of ownership for black identity in Britain and by um, by depicting my characters in in London, I'm I'm giving them a sense of ownership of that city, saying that they are a part of the makeup of this city, which is, you know, we have to remember it's almost fifty percent brown, London, um, and that we we really don't see that reflected enough in in contemporary fiction of um, of London. So it's 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 partly to to redress that balance as well. All of my books though tend to travel. That seems to be um, quite an intrinsic um, element of the geography of the books. So the first book goes to Nigeria, and the second book goes to Jamaica, and the the third book, Ordinary People, goes only as far as Europe, <laughs> to Spain. And I think um, I think in a way with that book I was. Um, I was I was trying to underline that idea of belonging and ownership in London. So I didn't want my characters to go 
to to an African or a Caribbean country, and to kind of um, imply that there was this sense of yearning and alienation that they were trying to somehow appease with ordinary people. I wanted to um, to just situate them very much in their everyday London context without this questioning of, oh, is it my home? And, you know, those cliched ideas around blackness and, and alienation and is this my home? And, you know, it is something that's always with us, obviously, but, um, you know, there, there's, this, there's this whole other areas of life um, that, that I'm trying to depict and that I want to think about, like relationships and uh, marriages and um, friendships and work, working life, um, yeah, brotherhood. So I was trying to explore more of those everyday things beyond the idea of racial belonging. Mm. And, and I mean, what's more British than going on a group holiday to Europe? <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> to the Costa del Sol. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very relatable <laughs> detail. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess kind of in a similar vein, like um, there's a kind of like, like just like the physical kind of like buildings and kind of the actual houses that people kind of inhabit in your books. Um, I saw in, in like a previous interview that you kind of spoke about, um, so the house on Paradise Row in Ordinary People and how... Um, there's this kind of idea that there's something haunting that house. There's some kind of, I don't know, energy, past lives or whatever. And then you said that you've always got like a thing, you've got a thing about houses. Am I correct in remembering that properly? I might be kind of paraphrasing. But that idea of like the spirits or the kind of lives of other people kind of existing in this kind of interior space. And that, <laughs> that may be in my forever like musings about identity and where do I belong I thought it was kind of like quite an interesting um it for me it drew quite an interesting parallel to like being British like the idea of there's this other idea of Britain that kind of like haunts our education our yeah our education like our media landscape the films the books that are championed about oh this is a great British novel or whatever there's this kind of other idea that's kind of like haunted I mean I don't I don't want to kind of project my interpretation onto you but was that like kind of a conscious detail like your your approach to these kind of like housing these buildings and the ideas of the lives that live within them and the people who've gone before like is that kind of like a conscious um not statement, but is that like a conscious detail or is that just like more a personal kind of musing? That's a really interesting way of reading the hauntings. And I think that's, you know, I think when a writer uh, writes something and once it's read, it becomes much more complete in its intention. So I think... Um, things can be read from a piece of work that were never intended but actually completely fit so I think that's what you've just described as a perfect example because there is a sense of um, um, there is a sense of, of haunting in these houses and the idea that there are other presences there especially in ordinary people other presences that, that come from elsewhere um, and that the characters are trying to somehow um, 
situate themselves com comfortably within. So I, I think that kind of schism between um, belonging and unbelonging and British identity, that's probably at the heart of my work in, in a very subtle, almost unintentional way. I'm, I'm quite fascinated by houses and how um, they can how they can hold on to energies um, mm. through the different people that they contain and how those energies can be passed along from one person to another. I do think houses are alive and I do think houses can define experience within within the structure. So um, and I like to I like to observe characters in their buildings I think the the, the abodes of the characters the place where people live that that is a part of that person I, I think in when you're reading a story and and you read about the, the the character's physical environment that is so much a part of their characterization I mean I'm thinking of um, a Fitzgerald novel that I just read where um, I can't remember what it's called at the moment. Um, it's not tender as the night. It's it's another one. But so so in the opening, he's he's the character is being described in his bathroom, and he's having a bath, and the apartment is described, and and the character really comes to full three dimensional life once the the physical space has been described um, in a way that they the character wasn't previously before the space was described so um, I think there's a way that you can really get to the heart of character um, in in using physical space to to somehow paint the character it's like a picture you don't have a picture without a background I think what I like about the way history is included in your books is the way that it always seems to be almost like a comment on what's happening in the kind of individual's life so like in 26a when there's the um the wedding of prince charles and princess diana i don't know how i forgot their names <laughs> when there's the wedding of prince charles and prince diana and there's kind of that tension in the house as well like it kind of reflects or kind of sits in juxtaposition to kind of like the marital the marital tension within the house and like the twins are kind of like watching these kind of two marriages in a sense kind of against each other I don't know if that makes sense mm. um so yeah I I really just appreciate that um detail I think it's quite interesting and even with ordinary people and like um Michael Jackson's death and kind of how well both ends Barack Obama's election Michael Jackson's death um it feels like it's that almost like the hope and the potential tragic ending of marriage like kind of reflected in different ways um but obviously in this year we've had a lot of different historical events kind of like play out and this might be a very kind of like left field question but what do you think that these big events have to say about kind of our existence now as if like as if we were kind of characters like how do these events that we've seen kind of ref what's the truth that essentially they tell us about the times that we're living in or our lives now yeah that's quite big and philosophical but <laughs> yeah well the worrying and the galvanizing thing is that they show us how um history can be repeated and the work of history 
especially in in the area of civil rights uh it's heartbreaking how um how far we still have to travel for these basic human rights that that we're trying to be obtained through the civil rights struggle that we're still um african americans are still fighting that same fight and the whole idea of um subjugation of blackness around the world is is still used as a mechanism of power to um to control and to impoverish and to exploit and that it lives right in the heart of our structures that we live within so yeah i think it's a sign of how how little we've learned i i, I think the not how little we've learned, but I think how little we have managed to change in the face of these enormous, almost immovable structures that support um, essentially capitalism. You know, capitalism I really think is the root of all evil. And um, I, I think as, as long as that remains um, in its current state, until it's deconstructed, then I think we're still going to be fighting the same fight. But I do feel hopeful, as I said. I, I'm really happy that Trump lost the election. <laughs> it's just like made my year. That really redeemed, it's redeemed this year. It's worrying that, that he's being allowed to behave in the way that he's behaving in terms of refusing to concede and that there is so little accountability at the, um, at the top of government, you know. Um, and with it, mm -hmm. I think we need to get rid of Boris, you know, because these 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 figures, they they hold us back. They hold back progress. Um, and yeah, that's what I think we're seeing this year is how easily we can just slip backwards. Yeah, it feels like just we as a whole existence humanity can be a bit self-congratulatory about kind of how much progress we've made and how kind of um we're not who we were before or whatever yeah, yeah. i mean we have to be positive though because we've huge progress has been made and huge strides have been mm. made and, and and i don't want in in any way to to undervalue the work of um activists through the decades and yeah. the artists yeah you know um people who've 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 sacrificed and um so much has been done but at the same time there there's still there's still a lot that has to be done and we we all have a part to play in it i think that's one of the main lessons from this year is that we just can't be complacent seeing the rallying seeing that we can still rally together mm. even in the midst of a pandemic watching kind of people go out and protest and that was quite moving actually um yeah so to end on a hopeful note looking forward to the new year what are your um kind of hopes what are you looking forward to what what would you hope to see it can be on a big level it can be on a very small kind of intimate level well, I think, uh, I, I just feel hopeful that um, 21 is definitely going to be a better year. It has to be. Um, 
I hope that I'm going to be able to to finish certain writing projects and I hope that we're going to come out of, of this sickness um, and be able to get back to normal and but not having forgotten the, the experience of it and the kind of the sobering <laughs> knowledge that we've been uh, handed and reminded of this year but that we'll go forward with those with that renewed awareness but with with better global health <laughs> yeah 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 i have great hopes for next year i think it's going to be a good year the only way is up thank you for for your time this afternoon it's been a pleasure to talk to you <laughs> We hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation with Diana Evans. If you are interested, you can find out more about her books in the episode description. As for me, I'm the host of Black Ballad's podcast, The Survival Guide, which you can subscribe to wherever you're listening to this podcast or check the episode description for links. Let us know your thoughts about home, the British canon or anything else on Instagram or Twitter by tagging Vintage Books and Black Ballad UK in your comments or posts. Until next time, keep reading boldly and thinking differently. Thank you.